Section 5 of the Science, History of the Universe, Volume 8. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Science, History of the Universe, Volume 8, edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Pure Mathematics. Chapter 3, Power of Numbers, Part 1. If the product of several numbers these numbers or factors happen to be a repetition of the same number, or in other words, if the factors are equal, the product is called a power of the number which was repeatedly used to produce it. The process of finding a power of a number is involution. The term power was used by the early Greek writers in this sense. The powers are named following the ordinal names of the number of times the factor is used. If the factor of 2 is used 5 times, as 2 times 2 times 2 times 2 times 2, or 32, 32 is said to be the fifth power of 2. The second power is called the square of the number, as it was early known that the number of square units in a square is equal to the second power of the number of units of length in one side. If a square is 5 inches on each side, its surface may be measured, using a small square 1 inch on each side. Such a unit is called a square unit or square inch or a unit of square measure. This square inch may be laid along one edge five times, thus forming one row of five square inches. Five such rows may be formed one above the other, completely using up or covering the original square. The area of the surface of the square is then said to be five times five square inches, or 25 square inches. The number of square units in a square is then the second power of the number of units of length in one side. This fact, which was early known, led to the naming of the second power of a number, the square of the number. In a similar manner, the volume of a cube is found by taking, for the unit of cubical measure, a cube one inch on each edge. A cube is a solid figure in which all of the edges meeting in a corner are at right angles to each other, and in which all edges are equal. In this cube, each edge is five inches. Its volume is found by taking for a unit of cubical measure a cube one inch on each edge. This unit or cubic inch is laid along one edge as many times as possible, or five times, thus forming a row of five cubic inches. On the bottom, five such rows may be formed, giving a layer of five times five cubic inches. It is required five such layers to fill up the given cube, or five times five times five cubic inches. This use of the third power of the number of inches on the edge gives the name cube of a number to the third power of the number. Since no solid figure exists with four edges at right angles, this process of naming the powers ceases with the third, or cube. In the figure taken from a paper by Miss Benedict are shown various symbols which have been devised for the indication of powers. Writing the number of the power a little above and to the right of the number, as seven cubed for seven times seven times seven, is due to the French mathematician and philosopher Descartes. The 3, which indicates the number of times the 7 is used as a factor, is called an exponent, while the 7 is termed the base. The exponential notation permits the writing of very large or very small numbers much more compactly than can be done without its use. Modern researches in astronomy and physics have rendered necessary the use of extremely large numbers as well as extremely small the lower orders of which are either unknown or of small consequence. 
The number of vibrations per second of light waves in the visible spectrum vary from 3.94 in a 10 to the power of 14 to 7.63 in a 10 to the power of 14. The wavelengths of the spectrum vary from 0 0.000000762 meter to 0.000000393328258 meter. In the exponential notation, these numbers will be written as 7621 into 1 by 10 to the power of 10 and 3933.825 times 1 by 10 to the power of 10. If two powers of the same number are to be multiplied, the exponents are added. As 7 to the power of 3 times 7 to the power of 5 is equal to 7 to the power 3 plus 5, which is equal to 7 to the power of 8. If two powers of the same number are to be divided, the exponent of the divisor is subtracted from the exponent of the dividend. 7 to the power of 5 divided by 7 to the power of 3 is equal to 7 to the power of 3 minus 5, which is equal to 7 to the power of 2. If a power of a number is itself to be raised to a power, as in finding the third power of 7 to the power of 2, the result is obtained by multiplying the exponent 2 by the 3 exponent of the power to which 7 to the power 2 is to be raised. 7 to the power of 2 raised to the third power is equal to 7 to the power 2 times 7 to the power 2 times 7 to the power 2, which is equal to 7 to the power 6, or also is equal to 7 to the power 2 into 3. A corresponding process takes place in extracting a root of a power. The cube root of 7 to the power of 6 is equal to the cube root of 7 to the power of 2 times 7 to the power of 2 times 7 to the power of 2, which is equal to 7 to the power of 2, which is also equal to 7 to the power 6 divided by 3. As the exponent indicates the number of times, the base is used as a factor. It must be a natural number since using a number as a factor 3 times or half a time is meaningless. The principle of no exception is here applied as before, and a meaning is given to the exponents of the form. 3, 2 thirds, 0, which will be at the same time consistent with the meaning of a whole number used as an exponent. If 7 to the 5th power be divided by 7 to the 5th power, the quotient is 1. But if the exponents be subtracted, as is done when division is performed, the quotient is 7 to the power 5 minus 5, which is equal to 7 to the power of 0, which should be equal to 1. In a similar manner, it may be shown that any number with an exponent of 0 is equal to 1. Is this reasonable in the light of the use of an exponent to tell how many times a factor appears? In 3 times 5 or 15, 7 is not used as a factor, or in other words, it is used 0 times, which may be written as 3 times 5 times 7 to the power 0, which is equal to 3 times 5, into 1, which is equal to 3 times 5. Carrying the reasoning a step further, 7 to the 5th power divided by 7 to the 8th power is equal to 1 by 7 to the 3rd power. But subtracting exponents, 7 to the 5th power divided by 7 to the 8th power equals 7 to the power 5 minus 8 equals 7 to the power minus 3. Therefore, 7 to the power minus 3 equals 1 by 7 to the power 3, which may be stated generally. The sign of an exponent may be changed by changing the position of the number from one side of the denominator line to the other. The meaning to be attached to 7 to the power 2 thirds is determined in a similar manner. It will be assumed that two-thirds, when used as an exponent, while as yet it has no meaning, will follow the law above for multiplication, that is to multiply 7 to the power two-thirds by itself. The exponents are added. 
7 to the power of 2 thirds times 7 to the power of 2 thirds is equal to 7 to the power 2 thirds plus 2 thirds, which is equal to 7 to the power 4 by 3. Repeat the process. 7 to the power 2 thirds times 7 to the power 2 thirds times 7 to the power 2 thirds equals 7 to the power 2 thirds plus 2 thirds plus 2 thirds equals 7 to the power 6 thirds equals 7 squared. When a number is used as a factor 3 times, it is said to be cubed. The inverse process of finding the number when its cube is given is called finding the cube root. Since the cube of 7 to the 2 thirds is equal to 7 to the power of 2, 7 must be the cube root of 7 to the power 2. That is, the numerator of a fractional exponent tells us the power that is to be taken and the denominator tells the root to be taken. 32 to the power 2 fifths means that 32 is to be squared and its fifth root found. 32 squared is equal to 1024. The fifth root of 1024 is 4, since 4 times 4 times 4 times 4 times 4 is equal to 1024. When 32 to the power 2 fifths equals 4, 16 raised to the power of 0.5 equals 16 to the power 1 by 2, which is equal to 4, since 4 times 4 is equal to 16. 7 to the power of 1 is of course 7. The use of exponents in computations greatly facilitates the work. Exponents so used are called logarithms. It will be agreed that 10 will be used as a base, and that every number is some power of 10, understanding by power 10 with an exponent, which is not necessarily a whole number. 10 to the power 0 is equal to 1, 10 to the power 1 is equal to 10, 10 to the power 2 is equal to 100, 10 to the power 3 is equal to 1000, etc. Since the exponent of 1 or 10 to the power 0 is 0, and of 10 or 10 to the power 1 is 1, any number between 1 and 10 must have an exponent or a logarithm of a number lying between 0 and 1. In the same manner, any number lying between 10 and 100 will have a logarithm whose value is between 1 and 2. These facts may be put in a very brief form. Logarithm of 1 is 0. Logarithm of 10 is 1. Logarithm of 100 is 2. Logarithm of 1000 is 3. The logarithm of 8 is a decimal lying between 0 and 1. The value of this decimal, found by an elaborate process of calculation, is 0 0.903090, an unending decimal. Tables have been calculated of these exponents, to every number an exponent or logarithm and to every logarithm a number. If it be required to multiply one number by another, the logarithm of each number is found in the table. These two logarithms are added, giving according to the method of adding exponents, the logarithm or exponent of the product. Opposite this logarithm is found the number or products desired. Thus, by the use of logarithmic tables, the operation of multiplication is replaced by the much easier and shorter operation of addition, and division is replaced by subtraction. This final step in the perfecting of the methods of computation was the invention of John Napier, Baron of Merkiston, from 1550 to 1617. It seems to be an easy consequence of exponential notation, but curiously enough, was discovered by Napier before the invention of exponents by Descartes in 1637, although the first steps towards this exponential notation are found in the works of Simon Stephen, 1548-1620. In October 1608, Hans Lipperhey invented the telescope. In the summer of 1609, it was perfected by Galileo, and from this date began the conquest of the heavens. The next century, terminating with the death of Sir Isaac Newton, 1727, was the golden age of astronomy, in which the movements of the celestial bodies were subjected to mathematical law. It is a striking coincidence that the invention of the telescope 
which so increase the need for tedious calculation, should occur almost simultaneously with the invention of logarithms, which to such a degree shorten these calculations. The greatest of French mathematicians and astronomers, Laplace, paid this tribute to Napier. The invention of logarithms, by shortening the labors, doubled the life of the astronomer. It is one of the greatest curiosities of science that Napier constructed. Logarithms before exponents were used, says Kahori, and the fact that logarithms naturally flow from the exponential symbol was not observed until much later by Euler. Following is a description of Napier's method. Let AE be a definite line. AE is taken to be 10 to the power 7, a proceeding very similar to the basing of the Babylonian number system or 60 to the power of 4. A dash D dash, a line extending from A dash indefinitely. Imagine two points starting at the same moment, the one moving from A towards E and the other moving from A dash along A dash D dash. Let the velocity during the same moment be the same for both. Let that of the point on line A dash D dash be uniform. But the velocity of the point on AE decreasing in such a way that when it arrives to any point C, its velocity is proportional to the remaining distance CE. If the first point moves along a distance AC, while the second one moves over a distance A dash C dash, then Napier calls A dash C dash the logarithm of CE. The adaptation to the number 10 was suggested at a meeting of Napier with Henry Briggs, who was professor of geometry in Gresham College, London. Briggs' own words indicated his admiration for the invention. Napier, Lord of Markinston, hath set my head and hands at work with his new and admirable logarithms. I hope to see him this summer, if it please God, for I never saw a book which pleased me better and made me more wonder. Briggs was delayed in his journey to meet Napier, who said to a friend, Ah, John, Mr. Briggs will not come. Just at that moment, Briggs arrived and it is said that almost one quarter of an hour passed by, each beholding the other without speaking a word. Briggs at last spoke. My lord, I have undertaken this long journey purposely to see your person and to know what engine of wit or ingenuity you first came to think of this most excellent help in astronomy, viz. the logarithms. But my lord, being by you found out, I wonder nobody found it out before. When now known, it is so easy. Computations of logarithms to the base 10 soon followed and are known today by the name Briggs logarithms. In 1647, Gregory St. Vincent discovered that the use of a base denoted by E equal to 2.71828284590046 had a peculiar relation to the equilateral hyperbola. Such logarithms are called hyperbolic or natural although occasionally incorrectly termed Napierian, and are of immense service in pure mathematics. Since Napier did not use exponents, he cannot be said to have used a base in his system. If, however, his logarithms are expressed as exponents, the base or number which is raised to the power would be nearly 1 by e, where 1 by e is the base of the natural system. The invention of logarithms was designed to simplify the labor of calculation, an attempt along another line has been to perform the calculations mechanically. Napier, with the rods or bones, succeeded in a way with multiplication. The first successful attempt to perform the first four operations by machinery alone was that of Blasey Pascal from 1623 to 1622, when a lad of 18. The close application to this work undermined a not over strong constitution, and he died at the early age of 39. The Pascal machine, which is here illustrated, was constructed on the principle of a wheel among the circumference of which were marked the first nine numerals. One turn of this wheel caused the next wheel, similarly marked, 
to pass through a tenth of a revolution, and so forth. Pascal's machine was not built, however, strictly on a decimal scale, as it was designed for monetary work. A similar attempt was made by Leibniz, the German mathematician. End of Power of Numbers, Part 1